Tanya, it turns out that this show is now part of the extended Crazy Rich Asians universe. Whoa. It is uh, tied. What? Yeah. It's tied to the Buna Murray real world road rules verse, I suppose. Yeah, we knew that. We knew. Well, not everyone did, but now, now, <laughs> now they do. do. Now they know. It's part of the extended video game blog verse. Hmm. Destructoid, mm-hmm. Nintendo Force Magazine, Lock On Magazine. Yep. Geez, so many. I could go on, but it would probably sound like humble brag. And now it's part of the crazy rich Asian flesh. Crazy rich I'm so tired. I can do it. The crazy rich Asians verse. Yeah, exactly where you want to be. I've never seen it. Is it any good? I've seen it. And I thought it was comical. That's great. What's her name? The comedian was Aquafina. Aquafina. Really? I, I, <laughs> I was. I almost said Queen Latifah because it sort of rhymes. <laughs> yeah, and neither of them are their their given names. Right. Aquafina was a joke name. I can't remember the. It has something to do with uh, some sort of water filtration system. Right. I can't remember the, right. the details of the joke, but a man named Calvin, who's in Crazy Rich Asians said, do you want a free video game? And I said, yes, Calvin, I'll have the one with me in it. Because that's what I like. (laughs) (laughs) And it's called Retro City Rampage. It's a pretty fun game. It's a top-down 2D game that is like a cross, I'd say, between old Grand Theft Auto with a lot of video game logic, even Mario logic in it. You can jump on someone and stomp them to death like you can in the Mario games, but it's Grand Theft Auto stealing cars and shooting, and I'm in this game. Wait a minute. So he said, any game. You can have any game in the world, Jonathan Holmes. He said, I've got four games. Everyone who follows me on Twitter, up for grabs. Just let me know, and and I'll give you one. I said, I'll take the one with me in it, Calvin. And he's like, uh, thanks. I mean, you're welcome. Like, it was very awkward. We exchanged DMs, and then I tried to get the game over to one of our patrons, yep. and I think their Steam account was locked. So they, they he got snubbed. That crazy rich Asian, Calvin, oh, man. was snubbed by this show. And that's like <laughs> and maybe the... For a game that the host of the show is in. Playing himself, yeah. yeah. It's bordering on interesting. It's so close. If I could just push this over the edge into it actually being the plot of Crazy Rich Agents 2. What did I call them? Did I did I just say agents? I can't <laughs> it's, talk it's at all like, today. It's the it's the blending of the consonants and the vowels that can be hard. Yeah. What would have topped it, Jonathan, would be is if you played the game and then you sent him a DM back and said, Thanks so much for the game, but it wasn't really good. Can I return it? <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, oh, and I gave it to you for free. And you're like, I'd like to return it. I'd like my money back. (laughs) And try to get him to pay me for the game he gave me that has me in it. That's all about me. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been. What would the name of that movie be? Not crazy. Not rich. Not even Asian. Like dumb, mean, beige men? Dumb, mean, beige man? Because that's me, I guess. Oh, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help it. I just can't help it. I just want to talk to women about real games. 
Welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking to Women About Video Games podcast. I'm joined by Tanya. I can't believe it. It's <laughs> how many times in a row? So many times in a row. Yeah, I don't know what number we're on. We're when we're nearing 60, maybe. Probably. When we get to 100, I'm going to go back and number everything. Because until you get to 100, people are like, why are you numbering this? This may be a flash in the pan. But once you get to 100, it's like... This symbolic. is the real shit. Yeah. yeah. We're it makes in you feel, this. You're in this. Like you're in a world. You're, you're an extended real world. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about. Not the real world. <laughs> Starring Puck, who I once was in a bathroom with. A public bathroom. Me and Puck. I would have been frightened. People don't know who Puck is. I just remembered. So for a little while, listeners, there was this man. A, a, a skinny man. Blonde man. Blonde. Looked a little mean. And was a little mean. Like named, a little bit of a punk, a skater punk in the yeah, early 90s. But I liked skater punks, but not if they were mean. He was sort of a, an angry guy, and he was on the real world season three, and he got voted off because he stunk so bad. I think literally, like he literally smelled bad. Yeah, he had terrible hygiene. He had a terrible personality. It wasn't even like a good plant in the show for drama. It was like he was just bad. People right? loved him, though. And he yeah. was a the rebel of a generation, sort of a forefather to the gang who made up the show, Jackass. He was sort of the first Jackass on MTV. And uh, we went to the MTV Video Music Awards, which I think they still do, in the year 2000, and shared a public restroom together. I think he was using drugs and talking a lot about himself. Wow. And I went along for the puck ride. Now, let me ask you. Yeah. I, I feel bad asking this. Is he still alive? No one knows. Really? It is one of the great... There's like Bigfoot. There's Nessie. The Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> there's Puck. Nobody... Have, have you Nobody seen him? Nobody knows if he's alive, huh? Well, I haven't looked into it. So oh. anything's possible. But nobody knows or seems to care. He's not back on these shows. And I'm not going to be back on these shows either, by oh, the way. John. I'm not. I found out they're shooting it right now. The All-Stars Season 4. You never know what could happen in the future. I might be on All-Star Season 5. But I'm not going to be on any of those shows anytime soon. I'm aware of that. So my venture back into my own weird... TV extended universes on pause for now, but there's a lot of extended universes coming. They've got the new Harry Potter game mm. is, is coming out, and extended universes have died off. Rumbleverse, mm. fun video mm -hmm. game, died off. Ash, the character on the Pokemon show, oh. apparently his story has come to a conclusion. He's been written off the show, at least for now, it's a, as we've come to understand it, the voice actor for Ash has tearfully said that that is all over. So looking at people's deep relationships with these massive franchises is a big part of what I think we're going to talk about in the episode this week. And first up, we're going to cue up Laura K. Dale, our old friend. Yay! And her partner in writing and other things, Jane, to talk about their new book that takes a look at our relationship with AAA franchises, uh, media franchises in general called Who Hunts the Whale? So I'm here with Laura and Jane, overjoyed on a lovely Sunday morning for me. They're over in the United Kingdom the land of tea and crumpets. 
just a just a beautiful place that I haven't been to in a long, long time to talk about your new book. Is that what we're doing? That's what we're doing. We, we've okay. made a book. It's it's called Who Hunts the Whale. Uh, we, we've been writing it together for like the last year, year and a half now. <laughs> Has it been that long? I feel like I first heard about it some time ago. And Laura, it may have been because you were stewing on ideas that would go into this book for some time. But I also could just be remembering things totally wrong, <laughs> which wouldn't wouldn't be the first time. We'd had the idea and we'd been talking to a publisher about it, but it hadn't yet been funded. And like we hadn't got into fully into the weeds on writing it yet. Right. That makes sense. So it's something near and dear to your heart that, as I know from dabbling in creative projects, it becomes sort of a survival of the fittest in your own brain. And only the ideas you're really most passionate about will eventually be the project that you keep working on and rise to the top and actually get published. And and here you both are. I have so many questions about it, but for the listener's sake, we should probably recap. What is the book about? Uh, it's about a young woman who gets her dream job working in the video game industry. She's not a coder. She's not an artist. So she just wanted to just work for the big company for who make all the games she's uh, ever played pretty much so uh, she's really excited to get there and almost immediately starts to realize that corporate nonsense is is very much in the way of the dream the polish is almost immediately ruined and then as things go on it's more about how can i how can i help save all these people who are in this terrible situation under these terrible executives who do awful things but it's also funny <laughs> it attempts to be like a it, at times pretty serious but at times pretty light-hearted um satirical look at the fact that the more that you learn about how video games are made particularly at the biggest you know triple a studios the more you start to realize the things you love are often made on the back of a lot of uncredited unpaid unsupported labor and that it's important to understand that and to understand what we can do about that mm. Yeah. So it is a book that comes from the heart, tries to have fun with some unfun stuff. And that's the only way to get anyone to actually pay attention to it, as I've learned myself over the years, but also shows your love for games underneath it all. And I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about in terms of reading the book is seeing how you infused your love of the, the games that are made by these studios with your knowledge of and disdain for some of the things they do while they're they're making them. Jane has this amazing background filled with colors and feelings. And what is what is some of the stuff? Is that a Megazord? Yeah, we've got loads of Megazords. Um, it, it says from queer right next to it. Oh, yeah. It's like Megazord queer. I, I wish that was a real Megazord. It says queer, queer cuties 9731. <laughs> so uh, tell me about some of the stuff that you uh, maybe without pointing too strong of a finger though that's entirely up to you of course some of the stuff that you like that maybe inspired this book either other satirical books or maybe AAA games that were made in a way that might be similar to the way the book describes how games are made. I don't know if you want to start those fights, but it's totally up to you. I open the open it up to you to see if you want to point those fingers. 
I think it's a, a general vibe about what's been happening in the industry for, or, or been known about of the industry for the last few years. Obviously, we get we we hear a lot of stuff from your friend Steph. We hear amazing in-depth articles from people like Jason Schreier, mm. just talking about the how bad it can be in the industry from the point of view of someone actually doing any work as opposed to just sitting in an office and, and making bad decisions about project management. So it, it was a lot of that stuff and a lot of wanting to just take a dig at that. Maybe educate some people, maybe just make some people laugh and maybe make some more people think about think about it for more than the five seconds that usually happens whenever one of these stories breaks. Yeah, it's true. How many times have we seen a massive story on how poorly people are treated at a big studio and then new shiny game gets announced and the the focus on the people gets totally lost. So it's that balance between focusing on the people and the games that I'm really most excited about. It's 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 definitely one of the things that really sort of pushed us towards writing the book. Like I know we'd talked about the idea for a long time, but for me, the big impetus of this needs to be the next thing we work on was um without without pointing any figures too directly. Um, there was that summer a couple of years ago where we really started to find out, particularly around sort of Activision Blizzard and Ubisoft and a lot of those companies, some of the stuff that was going on. And it was seeing like two or three months after those stories broke uncritical news coverage or like reviews of those games that in no way acknowledged like the very recent stories that had not yet had any actual resolution to them about um executive mistreatment of employees and feeling pretty defeated as someone that had been like trying to talk week in week out about the things that were going on and keep them relevant in news discussions seeing how many people were just responding with yeah, but I don't want to feel depressed when I want to play the thing I want to play. Yeah. And like we've seen that crop up again and again in time since. Like we're releasing this book right around the release of Hogwarts Legacy, which not to get into too much, has had a lot of people going, yeah, but I don't want to feel bad when I play the video game I'm excited to play. And I think like that feeling was at the core of like what we wanted to address that sort of audience apathy around mm. uh, mistreatment of workers but then the book is also like uh structurally it's um it, it's got shades of Bridget Jones's diary in terms of it's sort of like written as diary entries from a single character um perspective it's got little bits of books like uh, microsurfs which was a, a satire of working within uh, Microsoft and Silicon Valley in the in the late 90s it's all of that dressed up with a decade of me having been in the games industry, seeing all of the excessive, exaggerated pomp and circumstance that games are dressed up in. Mm. Yeah. When I was hosting the Destructoid show 10 or so years ago in San Francisco, everybody working on the front lines was poor. And then we would go to these events held by giant publishers where there was like $90 pieces of cheese and just like ridiculous amounts of money thrown at trying to make the games seem like they were a big deal, but the people were not seen as a big deal or, or even really key to the games being, being good. So 
I'm wondering if there's going to be like a cheese party scene in the book. I'm so I'm chomping at the bit to find out more about the book. If there's going to be a game in the book that's described that the main character really loves. And maybe that's a game that I hope someone will read the book and then like make that game. Like I'm all I'm all a flutter with the with the possibilities. Without saying too much, there's a lot of very idealistic discussion of games as art from the perspective of people that just love games as a medium. And there's also a lot of discussion of AAA annual release, push them out the door, big budget generic titles that have exactly the kind of promotional vibe that you will be familiar with from a decade ago being in the games industry. (laughs) And that's where I often get in trouble with these things is I don't like a ton of AAA games these days. I think the Mm -hmm. last one I truly like loved was Resident Evil 4, which came out on the GameCube. (laughs) Good choice. (laughs) Sure. It was, and I like some AAA games that have come out since then, but that was the last one that I was like, this game is like deep in my bones now. Like I'm going to love this forever. So when I criticize the way AAA games are made, people are often like, well, you don't like these games anyway, so who cares? But you both really love AAA games. Laura, you came on to talk about Elden Ring not that long ago, which had, I guess, a fair amount of crunch in the making of it, which then bummed me out to hear about. It's a depressing reality at this point that I feel like I I can't enjoy games the way I used to anymore because I have established that I want to try and care about the conditions that go on within these companies. So often I will start playing a game, get like a week or so into playing it, be like, I'm really enjoying it. And that's when the news will drop that there was huge crunch on it. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's as early as I'll be watching a trailer for a game and I'll be like, oh, this looks really exciting. And someone in Twitch chat will be like, oh, yeah, no, did you not hear about the terrible thing that happened with that company? I'm like, it's so hard to find things I can love. Mm. And, you know, that's difficult from a perspective of someone that does critical work on games. It's difficult if you pay attention to how they're made. It's tiring just wanting to enjoy things yeah and then trying to keep it all in your head there's all these things i'm so am i am i buying from that company or not i can't remember and then occasionally (laughs) getting it wrong saying i really enjoyed this thing and people going but the thing you said you'd never do oh oh there's so many of them and i forgot one i'm really sorry i can't remember who it was somebody fancy said that ethical consumerism under capitalism is impossible or something but we're we're trying to be as ethical as we can i think while still existing yeah it's <laughs> it's it's one of those that like i see a lot of people use it there's no ethical consumption under capitalism as a shield from being critical of their mm. own choices as a consumer particularly around pieces of media but like the the, the classic gotcha is Oh, you criticize you, you criticize people for buying games made with lots of crunch, but you own a phone that was probably made with bad practices. And it's like there's a difference between purchasing things that you unfortunately have very little alternative to in a modern world, be that a smartphone that is required for most jobs in a modern in a mm. modern life, or trying to avoid buying from companies that are huge multinationals that have bought up dozens of subsidiaries under them and you might not even know you're buying from the bad company mm-hmm. that's a very different matter from i knowingly bought a video game from a big triple a company that i know is b- bad and that has been repeatedly proven to be bad but i'm hand waving away the morality of that choice because 
I know everything's a little bit bad, so I don't have to feel bad about choosing consumerism and entertainment over someone's uh, having good working conditions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And there's so many games out there, but people get so attached to their brands. And again, I go back to your Megazord, Jane, and your your Gundam and your ponies. And it's so easy to, when you're a super empathetic person, you can really feel empathy and love for these creative ideas that people had. Gundam, My Little Pony. Like they feel very real to you. But then when you find out the real story behind the people making them. Well, anyway, before I retread that ground, I want to make sure that we talk about what it was like to write this book together. I'm not sure if you've written a book together like this and how the creative process with your with a partner, romantic partner and or a creative partner can be kind of a wild ride in itself. Yeah, so it was, it, I mean, the whole idea came from a skit we regularly do, regularly do on our podcast, which is Queer and Pleasant Strangers. And it was just two execs talking about how they're going to abuse their staff this week, possibly <laughs> resulting in flogging, who knows. And it was an idea of like, hey, what if we just span this out into a whole book? And then hmm, we sat down one afternoon and worked out, okay, what is an average year in video games? What are the, the big important things? So we hear a lot about layoffs at the beginning of the year to try and get profits up. We hear about the early uh, expos and, and events, things like uh, GDC, and then later on uh, E3, things like that sort of moving through the year, what are the big events? Desperately trying to get the game out before Black Friday because that's going to be where they make the most sales. And then sort of how we we wrap that in, wrap our narrative around that. And that really helped having that framework. And then Laura worked from that and built just a skeleton, pretty much went through the entire book start to finish in one sitting. Wow. And then I went in afterwards and just fleshed out with sort of more of the character stuff uh, refining some of the conversations because Laura very much does like factual stuff and I'm more like fiction writer. So it helped that be between us, we had those two skills and it, it was good to be able to bounce off of each other. And then when we didn't have ideas for how a conversation would go, we just sit down and just do the characters at each other and, and record it and largely, largely just use a transcribed version of that as the, the final script. It's, I'm just it's... trying to contain the adorableness feeling I'm having. It, and it, the way you describe it, it sounds so idyllic. Like the, the people dream of a partnership where, oh, well, you know, I, I don't like jam and they don't <laughs> like toast. So, you know, I give them my jam and they give me my toast and we split up everything and get it done together. And then we improv. I I, I was I was really happy with how smoothly the process went. It, I think it really helps that we went in with a sort of understanding of what e each other's strengths and weaknesses were, because I think that both of us would have probably not felt comfortable doing a novel alone. Both mm. of us know that there are things we struggle with uh, in terms of fiction writing, but we also know each other's strengths. And as, as Jane said, I was fairly comfortable with there is a blank page in front of me. I need to fill it and get us from A to B. And I was happy to go, cool, we've got the sort of annualized milestones to wrap things around. We know what the the general like uh, emotional narrative we want to hit is. 
cool, I will get words onto paper that get us at roughly the right like pacing, so the chapters are about the same length, so that we are hitting the points we want to build toward in the right order, and that we have like a skeleton of a story. I'm no good at describing places or people or uh, the personality stuff that you need to make a book like that not just come across as a dry account of events. And Jane went through and really breathed life into that. Like Jane is not necessarily super comfortable with there is a blank page in front of me. I have to make the story be on the page. But once that skeleton is there, Jane was like, oh, yeah, I know I can I can liven this up into a bunch of memorable people and places and conversations that make it feel alive. And I think together we created something really that I'm really proud of. It's just. I'm silenced by the the adorableness and the and the wonder. Hope adorable doesn't sound too like childlike. I don't. But think I, so. <laughs> I adore what you did. I adore that you're doing it. I'm so excited for people to read it. I want people to take a chance on it. How can people find it? Where can? Oh, who's that? The, the this is a tiny about? Laura. <laughs> I have a tiny woolen Laura. She sits on my desk and inspires me. Uh, where can they get the book? Unbound.com slash book slash whale. There is available from all good bookshops, especially ones that aren't Amazon. Definitely, definitely check those out. Uh, it's bookshop.org. They're available so. internationally, and 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 they have the book, and you don't have to give any money to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> and is it is it uh, in print and ebook? Yeah, I believe there's an ebook. And ebook, yeah, yeah. That's the way things are done these days. Jeez, is there more you wanted to talk about? In terms of the book, making the book, anything else you wanted to say? I don't want to pressure you, but I don't want to cut you off either. If there's, I, I mean, the only other thing I think I wanted to talk about, and you sort of hit on this earlier, was um, we wrote this book as a satire, and that's a difficult thing to do when you're dealing with like kind of heavy topics by the time you get to the end of it. But like a big part of why we did that was just trying to get people in the door. And a lot of choices we make in the book are about trying to make sure that this is accessible to a very specific kind of person, hopefully, which is your sort of annual AAA video game uh, enjoyer who doesn't really want to sit there and like just from the off be told, okay, here's just a list of terrible thing after terrible thing after terrible thing that's happened in the games industry, feel bad about it. And trying to go by having some fun in the space of, um, you know, starting with exaggerated just accounts of silly things you sort of know about in the games industry, and then moving on to exaggerated um, excesses that don't seem, that, that aren't necessarily in the realm of things going too wrong yet, and people are like, oh yeah, oh I know E3 is a big excessive silly show where nonsense things happen, and sort of playing around in those kind of spaces and getting people used to the excesses uh, in a safer space and then going, mm. okay, now we need to talk seriously. There is a lot that needs to be taken seriously and hopefully getting people to a point where even if some of the things we've described are a little exaggerated, people will go, surely it can't be that bad. Go Google and go, oh, it really, it's not that far off, huh? It, mm -hmm. it, that's really not that much of an exaggeration. And I think that's the line we were trying to walk, is that while we are, you know, being a little exaggerated and satirical in places, that we're clear enough with the satire we do that if someone goes, is that a real thing, they will come across real stories and go, 
what I had assumed was a gross exaggeration is really not that far off where the industry is today. And hopefully that'll open some eyes. Yeah. I mean, we had that conversation with our development editor who was saying like, well, this, this seems a little bit overblown. Don't you think? And we were like, here are some articles. (laughs) And, um, It was a good proof of concept that it got people asking questions that we could then put point links and go, yeah, no, this this uh, game developer talking about um, uh, terrible monetization practices at GDC. Oh, yeah, no, there's like three different talks we could point you to that are really like basically there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that you know your stuff will give the book the capacity to reflect the truth in a way that will be exciting, I think, for a lot of people who are in this niche, in this sort of subculture that wonders, like, does anyone else know that this is what's going on? So the book will validate that. It'll give an inside scoop as to what's really going on from people who know you two know more than a lot of us do. And it will be a fun read. I just reviewed the book. I have not yet read the book, but I am that confident that that's what you've done. And I can't wait to see what you did. I hope we have achieved that. That's what we're going for. Yeah. <laughs> well, Enjoy all the ridiculousness, all the all the made up uh, energy drinks and all the made up video game names we, we worked out. <laughs> it's so lovely to have you both on. I hope it's not the last time. And thanks again for for talking to us. Thank you, Thank you for having us. I had so much fun talking to Laura, Kate, Dale, and Jane that I barely talked about what the book was about. Jane talks about it a little bit in that clip, but I should have really dug deep into what's the motivations of the character what are the ins and outs but then people get upset about spoilers yeah people much rather leave it to their own devices to discover these things because it's really what we bring to things i think a lot of the time and the experience of enjoying them in the moment where it's a mutual exchange when you're reading a book watching a movie the kind of experience you have in your mind and how you engage with a thing in that moment is really where the magic happens. Oh my God, can I just say? Yes, please. That's where I'm at with The Last of Us. Oh yeah, you've been keeping up? Well, so remember last time Mm -hmm. we spoke on this show, I was sort of, I'm not 100% sure about The Last of Us, but then I'm one of those people that hasn't played the game. I don't know about Bill and Frank. Mm. And I came into that episode Is episode three. Yes, episode three, completely blind. About Nick Offerman and another actor. Murray something. He was in White Lotus as well. Oh, okay. And they are two guys living through the mushroom zombie apocalypse. Yeah, and I wasn't prepared for... I'll tell you, the first thing I thought was that I was very suspicious of Frank. Oh. I was suspicious um, of their relationship, but it totally evolved. And what I'm trying to say is going into it blind Mm. with absolutely no preamble, with absolutely no spoiler, Mm. no no expectations, didn't even know the story was going to turn a different way. Mm. It was intense for me. And you related with those characters, it sounds like. I suppose. There were <laughs> there were new characters to you and they were sort of blank slate characters in a lot of ways. You go just enough 
to be curious and invested, but not so much that you no longer can see yourself in those characters and only see their highly detailed personalities. Yeah, I just felt very impacted. I think that uh, what was great about the characters was how real they felt, mm. and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a very fine line to make a character, a fictional character, feel real, make a world feel real. But if you add, again, too many details, then those details can poorly impact the thing. Less is more a lot of the time. I mean, how many characters are in this episode? Not to spoil it, but who are like the major talkers? It's Bill and Frank, right? Yeah, absolutely. For like an hour? Yeah, an hour or so. And what was interesting was they had to cut it down. So they left out a lot of details that allowed the viewer to fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. And I think that was number one for time. Mm -hmm. And number two, because they wanted the viewer to put themselves into the story. Mm, yeah, yeah. There was so, originally, what, like a two-hour-long cut Yeah. that really made one of the creators of the show cry, and they had to cut it down so it would fit on the HBO Max. But they're, they're talking about release the two-hour-long tears yeah, cut. Yeah, just do it. Just yeah. make us all cry. Make <laughs> us feel. But yeah, it was, it was like that blank slate coming into it as a blank slate was really good. And I know that there's a lot of controversy about this because it does depart from the game. I recognize that. But for me, it worked. Yeah, the only controversy I know of is people are, are review bombing it. Because the characters are gay. Oh, come on. <laughs> and they're mean. And some people said that it was not so much that it deviated from the game. Nobody cares about that. They're upset that it seemed a little bit too trite. This is how people can be. And it makes me a little sad. I'm going to let you know that right up front. If people don't like something, they will often start to say, oh, well, this was made with ulterior motives or bad motivations. They just wanted to get an award or oh. they just wanted to get praise for for good representation people only say that when they don't want to just accept hey that show that wasn't just for good. me yeah well not that the, wow. you can say like i just did not enjoy this show but that doesn't like express your negativity enough so people often want to take it up a notch and be like this was made in a dishonest way when from what i've gathered of the show i mean the director of this episode is like a gay middle-aged man who like hasn't seen himself represented very much. Right, right. So he went for it. They, I think they were talking a lot about the middle-agedness of romance is just not at all represented. And it's funny, a family member of mine was like, well, it's better than Brokeback Mountain. And I was like, first off, this is not about <laughs> queerness. This was like about a relationship. Like, yeah, I felt like the queerness was secondary to... What well, we don't want to spoil the episode, but it, it's not as though a character is like... I was closeted my whole life, like Brokeback style, and now I've found, <laughs> now found my, my... my love. It's yeah. like, we're in the zombie apocalypse. We're not worried about who's closeted and who's not so much yeah, at we're, this point. Yeah, we're just trying to find a way to survive and connect. Right, right, right. Yeah, Anyways. people did pigeonhole it as yet another uh, queer love story, and it is a queer love story, but that's not the but point of it. But that's not the point of it. That's a right. part of it. Right, and I'm I'm sort of stoked to see that writing in films, television shows, games, everything is going away from making it be about that and departing towards, you know, it's just part of the story. Like, let's mm. tell a really good story. It doesn't have to always be about 
Yeah, if you have a woman in a story, it doesn't have to be like, woman, the game. Or like, you know. <laughs> she is taking her life back. <laughs> yeah, she can just be <laughs> She's a woman gonna who's have in a, a game. baby and wine and do good at her job. <laughs> I don't, know. I don't know if they've made that game yet. Maybe. Yeah, maybe not. Soon. Maybe coming soon. <laughs> uh, it's our next game. <laughs> <laughs> well, they are making a new game, this Hogwarts Legacy. We're probably not going to talk about it too much due to total lack of interest on my part. But we do have an amazing guest who helped me to understand how to enjoy Harry Potter, including maybe Hogwarts Legacy, but probably not. But enjoy the the work that exists around the creations of J.K. Rowling in a way that I would have never thought of before. We've got Slock, the rock snob. I'm here with Slock, also known as the rock snob, when five o'clock hit on my watch today. I said, better call Zlock. It's time for Zlock to talk to us about whatever Zlock wants to talk about. Zlock, the rock snob, how are you, Zlock? So let me get this straight, Jonathan. (laughs) I'm somewhere that's not what I would call Surrey. I'm hearing freaking dragons. And oh yeah, I'm talking to a book. (laughs) Yeah, okay. That is something I do now. I do magic. Kill jacked up beasts. I'll probably fly next. Harry Potter. I'm not transphobic. Joanne Rowling is transphobic. And also I might be in the fourth book, depending on your views about the third person limited perspective. 2023. Wow, I did not see that coming. The no, you snob. didn't. No. The, 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 you you co-opted the Forspoken and turned it into Harry Potter. And it's double parody is that what that was what was at least at least a double could Uh, be a triple ah the triple axle is just like you know people have gotten hurt doing that so i just go for the double (laughs) double is still um, a massive victory in my opinion you are if i understand it right a big harry potter fan yes yeah i'm uh six foot four (laughs) (laughs) and on top of your concretely measurable size you also have great affection and interest in the the harry potter mythos the the fictional world the wizarding world is that what it's called that's what the official marketing calls it what do the unofficial people call it the wizarding world has been the phrase for so long that it is kind of hard to move on from but people will like be like the witching world or the Mm. magical world. There's been Mm. a lot of talk about because, you know, witches and wizards. Mm. So there's been a lot of talk about like, for example, Wix or warlock or wand carrier Mm. as gender neutral term for a magical person. And that's just the perfect jump off point. I didn't know any of that. So thank you for informing me. The amount of talk about gender around Harry Potter, because of J.K. Rowling's continuing attacks on anyone who seems to even vaguely want to defend anyone who steps outside of the the gender norms that she espouses, Mm -hmm. is a real tough struggle. I you can't say you like Harry Potter these days without people assuming you align with J.K. Rowling. It is very tricky. How has that been for you? Because you 
don't adhere to gender norms. You were explaining to me before we started recording that your preferred pronouns are thon thons. Yep, T H O N slash T H O N apostrophe S. And it, you you also accept they them, so it is preferred. Yeah. But it, that is who you are. You are thon thons. You are not some other gender word. And we can nope. imagine how JK would respond if if she heard us talking about this now. She'd be all up in arms about thon thons bathrooms. And well, yeah. Well, whatnot. I mean, I just tell her like the first time I wore a dress, it was because I was cosplaying one of her characters, a guy who wears a dress. Like <laughs> this is on her. This ain't on me. But she she is McGonagall turns into a cat, like not Mm. even a different type of human. (laughs) So transformation and fluidity of identity of 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 person. Tonks can transform every part of her body. (laughs) So so before I jump to my own points, were those characters at all inspirational for you in coming to a better understanding of yourself and and around your own potential fluidity in general. So less the ones that you would think like Nymphadora Tonks or Remus Lupin, uh, who is canonically a trans man. That's mm. just, you know, I uh, saw that written somewhere on the street. So uh, that's canon now. <laughs> but for me, it really was, it was uh, this character uh, who appears on about two pages in the fourth book, and he's an old man who wears a dress. There's a ministry official, like this is in the books, there's a ministry official trying to enforce gender norms on this guy who's like, I bought this in a muggle shop. Muggles wear them. Like if muggles get mad seeing me wearing this dress, that's on them. I bought this in a muggle shop. Wow. Muggle women wear them, Archie, not the men. They wear these. I'm not putting those on. I like a healthy breeze around my privates. Thanks. That is verbatim goblet of fire. That's I don't think that made it to the movie, unfortunately. It It absolutely did not. Like goblet, (laughs) most of goblet of fire didn't make it into goblet of fire. Yeah, it's a shame. So there it is. How do you reconcile? those writings and who jk rowling was when she wrote that my quick aside i feel strongly that who an artist is can change a lot and you can love an artist and who they were as a person as reflected by their art from 20 years ago and like strongly dislike who they are now because they are technically different people really do Mm -hmm change as you know very very well so that's my way of reconciling it uh, with a lot of different artists who become awful later it reminds me of michael jackson uh when Mm. michael jackson died i was working in a low-income child care development center at the time Mm -hmm. and for the past 15 years you know i was now in my 20s like growing up uh he was just a joke Mm. There was, you know, some good tunes you might hear, but when people brought up Michael Jackson in the 2000s on your comedy shows and whatnot, it was only jokes making fun of him, bringing up the bad stuff, like Mm -hmm. all of that. But then when he died and every Gen Xer in media was like, oh, my God, and just started like his songs were on the radio everywhere Mm. and all of that, I saw like 
So I'm in Portland, which is very white. Uh, Oregon was originally founded as a whites only ethno state. Uh, so yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Our uh, official state motto is still, she flies on her own wings, which is a direct reference to slavery and that we don't allow slavery or black people at all here in Oregon. Oh. We fly on our own wings. Uh, so that that's a fun thing. It's yeah. not fun at all. It's really terrible. But the point is, like, I saw for the two black boys that we had in our K-5 to group, like, mm. dancing to Thriller and mm. Billie Jean and other kids, like, getting into it. And I saw just how impactful this was and of course like those kids their mom knew what's his face his name was not billy jean <laughs> no that was not his lover uh but yeah so kind of a real tangent here no but the but point perfectly... is that i have seen how imperfect people's art and not mm. even imperfect bad people let's just go ahead and say like people who did bad awful things mm -hmm. that their art can still like it was amazing to see these young children get something really positive mm -hmm. out of this resurgence of everybody talking about how great this black artist was right i would never in a million years want to take that experience and that time away from the kids even if it did mean that for an entire summer i heard thriller no less than three times every single morning and it's a good song but it's a good song but it's a long song and somewhat repetitive some would say and likewise the harry potter world will not go away too much it, money for it too like it just it's made money. too much money in the past for it to be let die as long as capitalism exists. That's right. And a new game is coming out, Hogwarts Legacy? I believe it's Hogwarts the Old Batch. <laughs> is that really what it's called? I thought that was a Gremlins reference. No, that's Gremlins the New Batch. I know. This I... Is, but, but that's the thing, because the Gremlins are going to turn out to be goblins. And so they're actually backporting the entire Gremlins universe into the harry potter universe that makes me want to play harry potter the old batch so badly but i i'm hard. so sorry don't do it it, <laughs> it was all lies I thought, so. I thought so they all are owned by warner brothers i think i was gonna say i'm pretty sure gremlins like there's the whole thing with the the, the looney tunes and the yeah yeah they mess with a wb logo at some point in the second one that's right. The The Lego Batman movie has a Voldemort, Gremlins, Godzilla, Batman crossover at one point. There's uh, Gremlins in the Lego Batman movie? Like just jumping around. That. Yeah, they don't do much, oh. but they're, they're there if I remember correctly, which it could be wrong. But good Voldemort in that movie. Pretty good Voldemort. I think it was Eddie yeah. Izzard who played played that one. Uh, nice. Which was well, because which, of... which also, wow. Yeah. Yeah, but Rife Fiennes was... Alfred. So they had the actual they had Ray Fiennes in there. Yeah. But they couldn't get him to play Voldemort. It would have cost too much money or, or something. Long story short, what do you do when you want to play this game, assuming you want to play it? No. Or, or you don't want to play it, even if it were free. Like, what if J.K. Rowling came out and said, I take it all back, messed up, trans people are great. I'm never going to say another word about it. That's the final word. Trans people are great. Uh, trans rights or human rights, I'm done. 
then would we want to play the game or no? So that's a really interesting question because it's not a question I have ever considered or I have <laughs> seen discussed at all because no, like. No I one thinks just, it's possible. Yeah. Like everyone, it was just an immediate turnaround by my corner of the community where it was just like this idea that, and also it was because she came out so strong, so hard, mm. so quick. And also, I mean, there had been clues for a while. People had been gathering receipts. There was, I actually was really annoyed when she came out as a transphobe because it ruined a lot of work I'd been doing, setting up a Twitter account where I ran a bunch of scripts to try and follow as many followers as J.K. Rowling did. The Twitter account was called J.K. Rowling's Timeline. Oh. And I was going to use it to try and like, prove like jk rowling's timeline is filled with a lot of transphobia and mm. while i was working on that she just came out and was just <laughs> like hey i suck now and i'm just sitting here like surrounded by scripts and just like well okay never mind all that sleuthing is gone yeah but i mean it's an interesting question but i i think it's kind of like the whole thing that's happening with dnd right now mm. where by D&D removing this license that's really old and should not be revocable, they completely pissed off everyone. People are jumping ship and they had to make a bunch of concessions. And even then, people aren't necessarily going to want to come back because D&D showed themselves willing to go back on one of their main principal things mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. thus people just yes they went back on that going back but it took like a couple months them losing tons of money mm -hmm. and now people don't trust them like yeah. she could come out and say that but yeah like it i think people just post a lot of screenshots of harry's hand saying i must not tell lies and then we just like continue to just ignore her as much as we can yeah that's right that makes sense so so we could go down that hypothetical road for a while, but it sounds like it's so hard to even imagine believing in her again because it has been so bad. And, and yet, also outside yeah. of the transphobia, Curse of Grindelwald is the worst movie I've seen. <laughs> the Room is a joy compared to it. And even with like The Room has like shitty things about women and stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, you know, it also is very clearly a personal story and was like a personal work. And Crimes of Grindelwald is I... I could not believe what I was seeing. There is literally a scene where people stand around in a room and shout wiki articles at each other. It's That's the third wild. Fantastic Beasts or fourth? The I, second one. I oh, had the second the, one. A third one track. came out. I haven't even seen a trailer. The idea to me that anyone would see Crimes of Grindelwald and go, hmm, yes, more please, just yeah. baffles me. Yeah, it's funny how people want to channel their love, their loyalty, and a lot of, frankly, what they project onto fiction where, like Harry Potter, Harry Potter gets into a lot of fun lore details, mm -hmm. which someone like you, as I'm getting to know you in this call, you like digging into histories, and it, it brings the world alive to you to know that there's all this uh, undiscovered facts and truths and stories underneath it all but the characters themselves and sorry if i sound like 
anti-Potter on this, but they're pretty general. Like you can project mm-hmm. yourself onto them. Like you would expect characters that are supposed to be appealing to a broad audience, including children. So like if well, you're it was originally int- a fairy tale, like if the first book is extremely fairy tale mm. in how it is uh, laid out, but even in how it is written, it does weird things in the first book that aren't in the other books that are stuff like years later, when thinking back on this, Harry would think this or that it's, it's a lot more like, this is a fantastical storybook and the storybook knows it's a storybook. Uh-huh. And that really kind of goes away. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, J.K. Rowling, Joanne, she has a talent and her talent is for synthesization. You know, the idea of just the complete font of like, oh, an idea springs from my head like Athena from Zeus. Hmm. Just <laughs> uh, which would have been real messy. But <laughs> Can you go yeah. back to the question? Because I'm lost. Oh, no, that's okay. Being, you were talking about her being. her talent being synthesization, and I wanted to hear more about that. My take was that she really made an amalgamation of all these yes. different mythologies, but kept it, again, really general. So, like, what do I know about Harry? He's pretty nice, he's had a rough time, and he's special. Like, I don't know too much else about him so i can easily project myself onto him or ron or hermione depending on what's going on with them in a given situation because i will be in a, a fussy mood every once in a while and i'll be like hermione or i'll be like the slobby sloppy mood and i'll be more like ron but they're they're generally hermione is grangy hermione is grangy i there's a lyric i was going to reference hermione is brainy ron has red hair but um I said Hermione is grangy instead. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I enjoyed it. Um, and I would have believed you because I don't know enough about Harry Potter to know if she's grangy or not. But what I'm finally getting to is interesting people love Harry Potter. People who, in my opinion, are far more interesting than Harry Potter for me. Love well, far Harry more Potter. interesting than the carrot. Like, I think you're you're right. And that's exactly why. Harry Potter is so big because Mm. appreciation for Harry Potter is there is this slight but noticeable difference between American and British appreciation for Harry Potter because Mm. British people have a more built-in understanding of private schools, Mm. of prep schools, of schools you live in and how that works. Mm -hmm. That's more built into the culture and had been for a few centuries. And so in America, a big part of it was we are divided. We have a very atomized community. And this idea, especially in the late 90s and especially in the 2000s, for Americans, the idea of a school where you can go and belong and there's community, like the idea of a house, like Mm. you go to school and you learn things, but there is a built-in community that is extra academic. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily related to like the people in your classes. It's you have this community and that's really for, I think, lots of people in elementary and middle school during the 90s and 2000s and continuing to be like for obvious reasons, Mm. that is really compelling. Mm -hmm. And then the world has all these little hints of lore that don't really go anywhere. But if you want to, you're given all these seeds to then grow in your own stories. And it becomes something where people really want to be, they don't even really want to 
be Harry Potter. They don't even really want to date Harry Potter. They want to watch Harry Potter and Draco make out. But well, well, the makers of this game are hoping people want to be themselves in the Harry Potter world. And from everything you're telling me, the way to really exist in this world isn't to play the game, but is to engage with the community who is creating enough content to... I hate using the word content, but there's just eh, it, not a good yeah. word for the amount of different kind of fan stuff, fan fiction, music. Fan media, I guess. Yeah, fan media is better than But content. even media, seems because that I kind know. of negates like plushies, t-shirt. <laughs> like, I mean, like there's so much that, you know, content is, it's so wide that it works. Yeah, and it is that wide. You have shown me a little bit of it that I didn't know about. You sent over a great song about how many Harry Potter characters would not be transphobes. So it's a, a, a sideways attack on JK. So I, did, I guess where I'm getting to is what would your advice be to people who love Harry Potter, but don't want to get involved with anything that JK Rowling actually does? How do you, how do you deal with that dichotomy? Uh, well, the first thing you want to get is a VPN. And uh, <laughs> then just get whatever you want, read it, watch it, play it. Yeah, just right. without paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. But get a VPN first. That'll, it probably won't stop the NSA from knowing what you're doing, but it will probably get, you know, Comcast off your back. But there's all these people that say, even saying you like Harry Potter publicly somehow helps her because you're bringing attention to and positivity to. Her well, brand. it depends on how you say I mm. like Harry Potter, because that's the thing. The Wizard Rock community hasn't just kept on making just the exact same songs, the exact same kind of art. Like it was transformed mm. by what happened. And I'd like to very quickly explain that Wizard Rock is a genre of music. Mm. Uh, it's We've got over 700, maybe it's up to 800 bands now across the world, but mostly, but not exclusively the white parts for you know various reasons. Mm. And hundreds of albums, thousands of songs. And what unites the genre is lyrics. Mm. The lyrics are about Harry Potter. It is called Wizard Rock, but there is rock, metal, hip-hop, country, folk, instrumental. It is not unified by sonic sound, but by lyrical content, mm -hmm. which is one of the things that makes it interesting to me. Great! It has always been a political art genre. Like, that is all wizard rock and politics have gone really hand-in-hand -hand from at least 2006. Mm -hmm. But this really, like, upped things. Like we've been quietly self-radicalizing and then that really just like yanked on the chain of the uh, vacuum cleaner for your grass lawnmower. Like when you have to <laughs> hold the thing, like go. Yeah, it really got things uh, spinning. She just pulled on that thing and we just spun over and over and over. So why the heck is there already a documentary about Wizard Rock, the community around Harry Potter that's larger than that? 
similar to how there was that the people versus george lucas documentary if i remember correctly about people just thinking star wars was bad now if there's not already a documentary yes, there there's actually a few there's yeah? the wizard rockumentary that one's like specifically just about wizard rock it was made as a final project by a couple college students it's a real labor of love and it really shows you like the ground level like they went around and they took the time to interview and talk with bands that are just like two people who made like five to ten songs and played mm -hmm. like a concert and the biggest names in the genre mm -hmm. so that's cool uh i would really recommend uh seeking out the movie we are wizards uh it's a really like excellently done documentary uh, no shade to the previous documentary but that was a student film mm -hmm. and this is a really well done documentary about how people took harry potter and turned it into different weird expressions that wouldn't be expected and wizard rock is a good like 40 percent of that film mm, wow. and i i'd really recommend it awesome and we're almost out of time. We could talk about this for, for some time. Mm -hmm. The rock snob, you're so skilled at uh, discussing the issues that people are most interested in. How do they find you from here if they want to hear more from you about things? Are there other places they can go for more of what you got? Well, I run the third most popular Wizard Rock blog. Uh, you can find it at rocksnob, W-R-O-C-K-S-N-O-B dot wordpress dot com. Sometimes it has a like a real URL, but that only lasts a couple of years because those things cost money and mm -hmm. aren't really necessary. I did have a few plugs I wanted to run through real quick. Yeah, more plugs. Okay. Give them to yeah. us. So for people who are interested in Wizard Rock or heard me talking about this and are like, well, I don't know, because she does suck and she does. Like if you'd want to see what the art that has been made in response and about this is, mm. I just like to run off some things uh good to see you wallenby by quick spell i adore this album how airplanes fly just any of his stuff revisionist history by the whomping willows and if you dig that check out three ludo bagman and the trash a band from the point of view of a minor character not in the movies and they always perform with a paper bag on their head i'd like to specifically shout out bisexual harry's merch where you can get your abolish azkaban t-shirts and stickers featuring a bong and the philosopher's stone there's the joe mansion song by dollish and the archies pomona by katherine haas and wizard anarchy by candle wicks and i must mention that totally nuts that's nuts with a k like the unit of currency just wrapped up their five-part album cycle making every single named character lgbtq there is a two and a half minute song about orla quirk receiving gender validation from the mirror of erised do you know who orla quirk is jonathan she got black hair of course you don't she nobody knows who orla quirk is <laughs> he's mentioned know. precisely once in one sentence joanne probably doesn't remember who orla quirk is but we do she's a ravenclaw and she's trans that's just canon now and like you were talking earlier about people wanting to put themselves into the characters because the characters are broad mm -hmm. and that's the really interesting thing about totally nuts is large five album cycle that was made in the space of like one year is wow. it's doing that taking every character even if they have no character to them they're just a name mentioned once and giving them character putting yeah. in what the author didn't 
So you should be able to find all those by searching through Bandcamp. And what I listed just now was only sourced from our trans and GNC artists, and it was non-exhaustive. Say nothing of our many queer cis artists, our allies, etc. So well, that's uh, they got to go to the website to, to sift through all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna write up a I'll write up a thing and do that. And also, if you're listening on this at 1.5 speed, this is your own fault. Just a couple more quick plugs, if that's okay. Wizardrock.bandcamp.com contains the yearly community sampler. Each one is a smorgasbord of interesting ideas and sounds. If you'd like a more themed or guided intro to Wizardrock, I cannot recommend highly enough the podcast WZRD. Just find an episode with a theme that seems interesting and give it a spin. German band Potterhead just released 2023, a 20-track album of 23-second songs that might be up the alley of those who enjoy this show's interstitials. And I would like to personally plug Wizard give a shit a charity compilation oh sam you okay my dog's being a dog (laughs) i was worried that she was pooping because that's she's 14 that's the actually she turns 15 tomorrow so everyone please wish my dog sammy a happy birthday happy birthday sammy Thank you. Uh, I'd like to plug Wizards Give a Shit, a charity compilation album I organized that benefits the Colorectal Cancer Alliance and local gender center Transactive, where the rule was that every song needed to be about poop or butts or toilets in some way. I'm so proud of that album and everyone did great work. And lastly, I want to mention the song Hermione Granger's Not a Transphobe by Catherine Haas, which I'm hoping to use as the outro to this segment. So if you want to role play in the wizarding world, don't buy that game. Instead, create content about the characters that don't have any story yet and make them you and make their story. That's what all these people are doing. This is or real join an RP forum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so like, many that's other ways. Huge. An RP forum. Like yeah, like a forum based. There used to be they GeoCities dying killed this, but there used to be a whole web of play by post real time Harry Potter role play forums where you would play through a year at Hogwarts in real time. Amazing. We we could talk all day about it. The Rock Snob, thanks so much for being on the Thank show. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Granger's not a transphobe She tried to free house elves from slavery Don't think she'd care which bathroom they would piss in She'd just say, watch out for the second floor lavatory And you were like, her once But now you're so out of touch You don't know people can change And it's magic
been together for 30 years We'll take it from here We're magic snobs lock will be back on the show soon enough they were very enthusiastic very very filled with feelings and that's the kind of stuff we like on this show that's for sure before i forget turns out that my old friend stephanie sterling and elsa who is also known as the redneck tonberry on this show they started their own podcast called the trash girl diaries that's amazing yeah i had no idea what was happening it came as a pleasant exciting surprise fun to see elsa rising up to higher profile podcast co-hosts and uh, really getting to shine. She is amazing. I know. I know. So good at different voices. It's pretty frightening when you're in it with her. Oh, yeah. And you like suddenly when it actually like, starts happening and you're like, it's... From the depths of Mordor. I can't do any of her No, voices. it's just, it's, it's quite surprising yeah. when it's actually happening to you. Yeah, it's amazing. You feel like it's almost scary because you feel like... The person that was there is no longer there. Yeah, you get transported, magically, one would say, to being with another place and being Somebody almost else. in another in another place with another person. Yeah, it's yeah. A, an exciting adventure. So, I don't know if you have any final thoughts on Hogwarts Legacy. It's an RPG. You can be in the world. A million RPGs like this, but the very much the point of the game is to pretend you're in this fictional land. So, I have a couple thoughts. Yeah. First off, I just want to say my understanding is that any of the fan creations, fan art, fan fiction, mm. fan, apparently there's music. Yeah. Wizard is, rock. Is way better than anything J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I, apparently, well, my understanding is that there's books upon books upon books of fan fiction that it far surpasses. I mean, it's all a matter of taste. I have never liked anything J.K. Rowling wrote. And so when it turned out she was also a lousy person, it was very easy for me to be like, well, I'll never watch one of those movies again because I didn't like them that much in the first place. I like the third one with the werewolf. Uh, That one's pretty good, the time travel. But overall, it, it didn't grasp me in that way. In terms of the game... Oh, yeah. Is... Is she getting payouts? Yeah. Yeah, 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 so I just... She's getting uh, paid out. Everyone's getting paid out. The game, from what I've gathered, looks extremely mediocre. But people, because they're so attached to this brand. No. They And people cried and cried when Ash was retiring from the, the Pikachu character. And I heard some clips. And not to be mean, uh, but I guess it's going to be mean. Like, not the kind of acting that usually causes people to shed tears. People get attached. Super attached to just like, oh no, here we go again. You know, like just not, they didn't give them the Oscar material to work with on that show. It's a cute kids show. People's level of attachment regardless, very intense and very real. And I think we're asking, formally requesting that people who are attached to those hogs, the warts, warts, the warts, the wart hogs, whoa. Is the whole thing a massive Welcome Back Cotter reference? Because <laughs> of the sweat hogs, who are also like magical kids in a school, but their magic was wearing denim and being like, hey, 
Have you ever seen this show, Welcome Back, Cotter? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? I know of Welcome Back, Cotter, but I've never really watched it. I'm going to close oh. the show. Okay. And just leave that question hanging for people. Should they divorce themselves from the fictional worlds they love when they turn out that the people who made them are garbage and when the shows themselves and movies are really just a mental playground for you to project your own fun stuff into? You can make the fan art, but should you buy the official art anymore? That's the question I'm leaving you with. Hmm. While the music may have started already, I'm going to tell you about oh. a time I passionately, uh -huh. passionately wanted to make a commercial for water. <laughs> Just drinking water. Yeah. Yeah. Cue the Welcome Back Cotter theme song. Welcome back. Your dreams will you take it out? You know what? Mm. Welcome back. And then cue Mr. Cotter, who's a, a guy with big curly hair and a big bushy mustache, wears a suit to teach in a lower income high school, except it's a bottle of water with the curly hair and the mm. mustache. And it waddles oh. into the room. And then like the, a single serve? Uh, just like a bottle of water you buy yeah. at the water bottle store. And <laughs> those well. exist. <laughs> and then the Horshack character goes, Hey, Mr. Water! Welcome back, water. Welcome oh back. my Welcome. god. You gotta drink water. You gotta drink the water. Yeah. Passionately wanted to make that commercial. Why didn't you? You probably could have made it stop motion. Will someone make this commercial for me? If you make this commercial for me, I will retweet it every day. Oh no. For 88 days. Not again. I'm just retweeting this time. I'm not remaking it. I'm just retweeting. Why are you so upset? You're like, <laughs> like, you look totally it's, it's crestfallen. Not, it's not even like I'm subject to your tweets. No, you can just ignore my tweets. A lot of people do. I'm but... like, oh no, not another <laughs> tweet fest thing. Yeah, you're done with those forsaken, oh, no. forespoken tweets. That's for sure. Well, I guess that's it for the show. Jonathan, you do what you want to do with your life. This is your life. That's a Bon Jovi song. You know that one? <laughs> It's your life? Yeah. yeah. It's now or but never. But it's my life. It's my life. Like an open highway. So corny. It's hitting me so hard right now. We should the wrap up. The song is so corny. Like Frankie said, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie? I just want to drink water for life. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Are you going to do your own welcome back water? No, I'm not. Why not? That sprung on me in the moment, and the moment is now past. That's it. It's done. <laughs> you're really the joke setting, is done. You're really setting limits with me today. Thanks for <laughs> listening to the show, everybody. I've got other stuff. Nintendo Force Magazine working on the Nintendo 64 themed issue of that right now. You can check it out on Patreon. Lock On Magazine. Writing for... Jeez, I think I started on issue six for that already. The crowdfunding for issue five just ended. I was on another show called The Spinoff Doctor Spinoff, mm. talking about Christmas in Packland, I think is what I talked about. It's all sort of a blur. I'll put the link for that in the show notes if it lets me. Depending on where I host the show, it won't let me put links to other things in it, but uh, I'll do my best. If not, you can, you can look it up or just email me directly. Or ask me on Twitter. I'm at, at Non Trotsky on Twitter. I'll, I'll show you where the show is. I'll show you where the show is. And uh, I think that's it for my projects for now. Yeah. Fun. <laughs>
You're keeping it going every day. Yeah, I work on stuff every day. It's true. And thank you for listening to the show, everyone. We appreciate you. Yeah, we do. We hope you have a wonderful life and a night. Oh. Until next time. Yes. We'll see you then in our lives. You'll find out what happened next in just two weeks. Two weeks from now. Yeah, we'll see you then. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Talking to Women About Video Games is hosted by Jonathan and Tanya, with editing and production by Daniel. Music by Jonathan and Daniel. You can support the show and get exclusive bonuses on Patreon at patreon.com slash T-T-W-A-V. Thanks for listening. Greetings, folks. As Jonathan said, we launched a new podcast called the Spinoff Doctor Spinoff Podcast with me as the producer slash editor, and it's hosted by Ewan. It is a show that kind of gets into the nitty gritty of the spinoffs of video games, so like movies and books and stuff. The second episode has Jonathan as the guest, and it is about Christmas Comes to Pac-Land. I'm actually the guest on the first episode, where we talk about Resident Evil Degeneration. And the third episode we're still working on right now, but the guest is Elsa, aka the Redneck Tonberry. And we talked about Final Fantasy Legend of the Crystals. So if that's the kind of thing that you're interested in, be sure to check out Spinoff Doctor's Spinoff Podcast. I believe it's mostly on Spotify and Anchor at the moment, but will eventually come to everywhere. Anyway, check out this clip of Jonathan, Ewan, and me discussing Christmas Comes to Packland. I mean, he's Santa Claus. He's presumably magic. He's got flying reindeer. He could have gone and gotten the toys himself, right? Or is he, he was too cold? Was that the problem? He sneezed, so he had to take a night off. <laughs> he's not used to the uh, the viruses of Packland. <laughs> Maybe that's it. That's what they got uh, in War of the Worlds. That's how they defeated those three fingered aliens in that one. Maybe. And Santa is an alien, so the logic follows. And you never see how many fingers he has. This is how COVID was introduced to Earth. <laughs> a three-fingered Santa with no pants ruined our world. <laughs> You've got this second part of your platform for your campaign. <laughs> Nude Santa. Jonathan, why aren't you a three-fingered Santa with no pants? <laughs> I'd have to cut off some fingers, but, you know. We'll see. You can. I mean, that's perfectly possible. <laughs> it has been done. So campaign promise, but not <laughs> not a guarantee, perhaps. But we'll look at the bill in Congress and see what we can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, once I get elected, I'll decide then. But I'll tell everyone up front, absolutely. A power pellet in every first aid kit. I will have three fingers. I will cut off my fingers do I need another promise other than that, or is that... Nude from the waist down. <laughs> oh, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll see if I can beat George Santos in the, um, in the congressional race.